We're reading from the New Living Translation, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father, who is, all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead... Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created, by, or created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear child, or children, sorry. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual song among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give, and give thanks, thanks for everything, everything to God, God the, the Father, Father, in the, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Submit, Submit to one another out of the reverence, reverence for, for Christ. Christ. Thank you. I owe you, I think. Thank you. Well, we are starting our new series today uh, all about your biggest question. And many of you contributed questions, and I had the, uh, well, the task of trying to sort through and figure out what are five sort of representative questions that we could look at together as a community. And today, on a day honoring mothers, we're going to look at a biggie. It has to do with relationships, and in particular, marriage. It's a question that we all have. It's a question that we ask. It's a question that we carry, I think, each day of our lives, especially when things are maybe in trouble. But we ask the question, how can our relationships flourish? You know, what makes our relationships great? And what we're going to focus on today is specifically marriage, but I honestly mean this. What we say about marriage will and does apply across the board to our relationships. We're going to focus on marriage because, well, it's a big question. How can our marriages flourish? We all know that marriage is not easy. Uh, for some, marriage has been harder than it has been for others. Uh, we, many of us have experienced the trauma of marriage failure. Either our, our parents were divorced, uh, particularly maybe at a time in our lives where it felt like our whole life was being pulled apart. Uh, maybe our own marriages crashed and burned. Uh, maybe the marriage of one of our siblings or, or the marriage of one of our children 
ended and, and, and all of the sorrow and, and the pain that went with that. Uh, for others among us, our marriages might have not have ended in divorce, but we've struggled along uh, for years in a marriage that seemed doomed to mediocrity. And though we knew somehow that marriage was supposed to be more than what we were experiencing, joy in our marriage, at least, seems to have eluded us. And then there are a few of us, but I think too few of us, who through mistakes and and sin and through ups and downs and for better or for worse, we've somehow learned to grow in our marriage relationships and we're experiencing the joy of marriage more and more, at least on Sundays. Whether or not you're married, we can all agree that marriage is hard and marriages often fail and even the ones that don't end in divorce often fall way short of God's ideal, of even our own ideals. I've now performed well over 50 marriages. I've lost count. And I can tell you that I've never seen a groom or a bride come up to the altar planning to fail, planning to have a blah marriage. They don't come up the aisle that way. We all know that. Every one of them comes up hopeful and dreamy even, wanting the best and not hoping for a marriage that just sort of works, but a marriage that flourishes, right? A marriage that's great, a marriage that's joyful, a marriage that lasts a lifetime. And so the question I think we're asking today, how can our marriages flourish, is, is a really relevant one. It's, a, it's an important one. But also, it can be a, a painful one. So that's the question. How can our marriages flourish? How can they become deeper? How can they become stronger? And the principles, I said, I, I, I guess I'm a little sensitive to this morning, the fact that many of us are single. And I'm aware of that as I talk about marriage today. And I'm hoping that all of us will hear a challenge today that we can apply to all of our relationships. So that's the question. The answer, I think, might surprise you. For some of you, in fact, I think the answer could make you mad. Could offend you, or at least because you're polite Canadians, leave you mildly irritated. (laughs) Right? The answer to this question, how can marriage flourish, uh, for some of you might... It might make you want to check out right now to actually say, I don't like this. I'm not going to listen anymore. I'm going to shut my brain off. I'm going to check Facebook on my phone. I'm going to do something else other than listen to this. But I want to ask you right now, I'm going to go through a lot of stuff here this morning. I'm going to ask if you would just try to stick with me this morning through this whole message and then at the end decide whether if it's all bunk or not, whether you'll take anything from it. Okay? So here's the question. How can our marriages flourish? The answer is found in the little letter in the Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 21, and here it is. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How can your marriage be more than it's been? Through submission out of reverence for Christ. Marriages flourish when spouses submit to one another out of their love for Jesus. But if there is a word that we do not like, it's that word right at the front, submit. Submission. Submission raises our societal hackles, right? You know, submission offends us. Submission wants us to, just makes me at least, or makes us want to push back from the table to to cry foul, to fight for our rights. Submission conjures up images of abuse, of male domination, of forcing compliance in some antiquated patriarchy. Submission is something that I think we just reject as a society. As a culture, we value independence. We value the rugged individual, the pioneers, the the heroes that overcome. We exalt those who will never take no for an answer, right? Who push through to the top. Submit? Are you joking? Never. 
Right? Okay, well, maybe you all don't have a problem with that, but maybe this is just for me. And yet, submission to one another out of reverence for Christ expresses this spirit-filled life that Jesus himself modeled for us. Jesus, the Son of God, lived his life in complete, perfect, and total submission to his Father. And he did it for us. So that's where we start off. As we think about relationships, as Jesus' followers, we are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in this, in this letter of the Ephesians, this little verse is kind of like a transition sentence. It, it reaches back to everything that Paul's been saying, and we heard George and Terry read for us. It, it talks about, takes all that bit about spirit living, uh, living by the Spirit. It's something that's not characterized by bitterness or slander or rage or ugly talk, but it's something that's marked by compassion and kindness and forgiveness. And this submission that he's now talking about is a practical outworking of this spirit-filled life that's lived in imitation of Jesus. That we now live in relationship with each other, following the way of Jesus, the way of love, giving up our lives for each other the way that he gave up his life for us. Spirit-filled living creates submission-filled loving. You hear that? Spirit-filled loving, living, sorry, creates submission-filled loving. Because of Jesus' love for us, we can now lovingly submit to one another. And with all this as a backdrop now, Paul, the author of this letter, applies this little verse to the social situation of these Christians in this city called Ephesus, right in the middle of the century, the first century AD, in the Roman Empire. That's who he applies it to. And he does this by applying this command to submit to one another to three distinct relationships. The marriage relationship between a wife and a husband. The parenting relationship, particularly between child and father. And then the slave relationship between masters and and slaves. Those are the three relationships that form the nuclear family. Okay, It's not mom, dad, 1.25 kids driving a minivan. It's this. These these three relationships formed the nuclear family of, of first century Rome. And the head of the family, the father of the family, the pater familias, and I don't usually draw up those kind of words, but you can see the word pater for father, familias for family, but that's the word that was used for this, this guy at the top, this father of the family, who then related to those three groups in his family. And Rome believed that everything flowed from the family from the paterfamilias, that if families were ordered properly, then all of Roman society would be ordered as well. And they had one big, great, big paterfamilias at the top, and his name was Caesar, right? So everything flows down from father to father to father, right down to the slave. And so many, many social philosophers and moral philosophers in the day of Paul and this hundreds of years span, they would write uh, instructions for the fathers about how they should run their families. They give them very specific instructions so that their families would be ordered right. And these instructions were all over the place and they were called household codes. We saw them. You see them all over in a variety of philosophers and, and uh, they address these, these three relationships that existed in the family of, of that day. So in one sense, when Paul now launches into what comes next, he's kind of following the basic structure of the household codes. He starts first with the marriage relationship, then the parenting, and then, and then the management of, of slaves. 
And for many of us, especially if we're new to Bible reading, or maybe we were raised in a setting that was a very male-centered, a very domination a view of reading the Scripture, and we, might, we, we really pull back from this. It feels strange and offensive to us or even wrong. And our challenge today, I think, our challenge always is, is to try to get back and, and read um, the Scripture the way it was meant to be understood when it was written. And what Paul was intending here to show how radically the work of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit changed everything, even these relationships. So let's get into it. We're going to move pretty fast this morning. I hope you're buckled up, okay? So first of all, the opening sentence, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We've already noted this, but this is like ultra important. I want you to hear it. Paul places everything that follows. He's going to get into details, okay? He, everything that follows about husbands and wives and children and masters and slaves and all that, he places everything that follows under this basic command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you know how stunning this is? This is, this is incredible. This is something we don't really catch. This, applying this command to the daily life would change everything about their daily life. I mean, this is subversive stuff. It was actually this submission that Christians would begin to practice in their families would ultimately bring the end of these power structures. I mean, think about it. A master submitting to his slave out of reverence for Christ? Just imagine that. How long do you think slavery would last in a household where the master submits to the slave out of reverence for Christ? How long do you think it would last? This is deeply subversive, deeply powerful stuff. Everything that follows, do not forget, it comes under and as an expression of this first command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Second, submission is not commanded because the person that they're submitting to is worthy of it. Get that? The submission is not because they're worthy. You know, husbands could be cruel. Wives could be awful. Children could be horrible. You know, fathers could be jerks. Not much has changed, really. Uh, uh, this call to submit is not out of reverence for each other, but out of reverence for Christ. As Christians, we live for Jesus. We don't lay our lives down in service for one another because our partners or our kids are, are worthy of it. We lay our lives down because Jesus is worthy of it. And that changes everything. And for some of us, we really need to hold on to this because maybe we are in a marriage or maybe we are in some relationships that the people that we're submitting to, the people that we're serving on most days aren't really worthy of it. And there's actually something liberating here. I think it was liberating for them and liberating for you that you begin to realize that as I serve this woman or this man, I'm not really serving him because or her because she's necessarily at this point worthy of it, but... I'm submitting to them because I love Jesus. And that really makes a difference. Third, and something we can easily miss in this. I mean, actually, I think we almost always miss it. And that is this. Paul addresses each of the parties, if you want to put it that way, each of the people directly. He speaks directly to wives, directly to children, and directly to slaves. And we're thinking, so... This is in complete contrast to all other moral philosophers, to all other household codes. When they wrote, they would only address the dude at the top. Okay? They would only talk to the paterfamilias. They would only say to him, this is how you should get your wife or your children or your slaves to act. It only addressed him, the guy with the power. In short, they would basically say, men, make sure your wives, your children, your slaves stay in line for the sake of the kingdom of Rome. 
What Paul does here is so powerful. It's, it's so much like Jesus. Instead of addressing only the paterfamilias, Paul speaks first to the wife and then to the husband. He speaks then to the children and then to the father. And then he speaks lastly and so powerfully to the slaves themselves and then to the master. He speaks to the person who is lesser socially, the person who has little or no power at all in this very patriarchal society. And remember, they're not privately reading this in their homes. They're reading this letter from Paul in church where everybody's there. The slaves, the children, the wives, and the husbands, fathers, masters. They're all present. They're all hearing this out loud. Paul gives such dignity and respect and honor to these Christian women and children and slaves by addressing them, by calling them as new creations in Christ, filled with the Spirit, to live out their lives in their situation out of reverence for Christ. Remember, in that day, women had to submit. It wasn't a choice. You know, Children and slaves, they had to obey. But Paul, he gets in and he changes the whole basis of this submission. And then he includes their husband, master, father into this submission command so that everyone, as spirit-filled Christians, everyone is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, So that's sort of some basics. So we're going to walk through each of these just very briefly to see how Paul applies this command of submission to each person right in their existing, and let's be honest, often very oppressive social structures of his day. These verses that follow don't idealize the Roman family structure. They certainly don't imply this is how a biblical family should be structured, unless you're hiding slaves I don't know about. Uh, What it does do is take our life, our new life in Christ, fill it with the Spirit, and apply it in a very real, very fallen power structure in which real Christians, you know, real wives, real children, real slaves, as well as real husbands, fathers, and masters found themselves. It's like Paul saying, look, now that you're new in Christ, now that you've got the Holy Spirit, now that everything has changed, this is how you need to live it out in the daily situation you find yourself in. All right, so I'm going to go through very quickly. We're focusing on marriage today, but I'm going to touch the children and and, uh, slave situation as well. So here it is in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We got that, right? Wives to your husbands. In your Bibles, most of them will say, you'll fill in the word submit there. It's not there in the original, okay? Fills it in because for an English speaker, it helps us. It's literally just a follow-up to what was just said. Wives to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. But he just said that. Submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. He's really emphasizing their unity here, which would be very startling for that day and age, understanding the husband and wife this way. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. At this point, he actually hasn't said much that's new. Again, he's just saying, what I just told everyone to do to each other, now wives do that to your husbands. Basically making that. What he goes on next when he speaks to the husbands is is the most radical thing that probably happens. That and what he says about slaves. But uh, probably one of the most radical things in this passage. And what's confusing about this next little bit is that Paul will jump back and forth a number of times between talking about the relationship we have with Jesus as the church and the relationship that husbands have with their wives. Watch it. It gets a little confusing. Here it is. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, right there, 
We already have a definition of submission that's amazing, right? How do husbands submit to their wives? By loving them the way that Christ loved the church, by giving himself up for the church, right? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And here's where Paul gets into the church stuff. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. See how he goes back and forth? And you really got to try to track, okay, he's really, he's kind of trying to talk about husbands and wives, but he's constantly referring to this relationship that Jesus has with us as the church. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but, here it is, he admits it, but I am talking about Christ and the church. This is Paul's kind of, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay? So here, Paul is taking this command to submit to one another, and he's laying on the ground. He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Okay? Husbands, this is what this looks like for you. And there's nothing in this passage that is domination or domineering. This is the husband loving his wife by laying down his life for her, following the example of Jesus for the church. Following this way of love where Jesus sacrificed himself, laid himself down, made himself nothing so that each and every one of us could receive life. What an amazing picture. We should camp there, but we can't. So we'll keep going. All right. So then that was the first relationship. He moves on now to children and their fathers. Children, how do they submit? Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. He quotes from the uh, Ten Commandments, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Kids, you want to live long? Obey mom and dad. I tell them that every day. But yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, So, how do children submit? Through obedience, recognizing that God has, you know, my parents are there to lead me and guide me into the things that God has for me. Fathers, how do they submit to their kids? Don't be a jerk, basically, is what Paul says. <laughs> Fathers, do not exasperate your children. You know, yesterday I was exasperating my child. And I have this, these words ringing through my head as I'm having this exchange with one of my kids and I realize, oh Lord, I'm provoking my child to anger. And it's my fault, right? It is. It so often is. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. How does a father submit to his children? Well, I know that often when I'm exasperating my child, exasperating my child it's because I want something. Right? It's my selfishness that usually drives that. Instead of looking past that and saying, what do I need to do to help my child grow up and know that God loves them, that God has a purpose for their life? That's how I submit to my children. And then he goes on. This, in one way, um, is different for us because the whole slavery thing. But just see what Paul does here. This is radical. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Again, they have no choice in this. But this is how they, he's going to play it out for them. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. How would that change a slave's perspective if he begins to operate in his days? The way, what he is called to do is saying, I'm serving Jesus as I'm doing this. 
Whether the guy's a jerk or a guy's a fellow believer, I'm serving Jesus when I do this. Right? Because you know the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you're slave or free. And then, this is shocking, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What do you mean? What do you mean in the same way? It makes you have to look back, right? And go, okay, what did he just tell the slaves to do that he's now telling the masters to treat them in the same way? This is radical stuff, you guys. There's no one, nowhere else, that would suggest that a master treat his slave the way that the slave treats him. Except when the Holy Spirit has come in and these people are new creations in Christ. It changes everything. Treat them the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and (coughs) your master is in heaven. And I love this last line. And there's no favoritism with him. Just remember, boy, (laughs) that there's coming a day when we're all standing equal. In fact, right now, as new creations in Christ, equal before God. So you treat one another as a brother and a sister in Christ. This is radical stuff. And I know that so many of us have read this and we've heard this and we thought, how does that relate to today? How does that relate to my life? This is weird. This is strange. Some of us have wanted to toss the book out or, or try to, you know, write that stuff off. Or maybe, maybe we've even tried to apply it in ways that haven't been overly helpful. But I hope that as you see us read this through, you recognize that Paul is taking this powerful truth that we are to live our lives in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ and saying, you know what? And now here's a challenge to actually do that in your situation. Your situation may not be good. Your situation may not be easy. In fact, your situation may be so difficult that you want to just give up, you want to blame, you want to duck. And yet he says, this is the call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ regardless of your situation. So here's the question for us. How do we lovingly submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. What is that going to look like in your life? Like most of Jesus' teaching, the, 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 the verses themselves, the command itself is relatively simple to understand. It's just really difficult to live out. Right? I mean, what does that mean practically for you in your marriage? What does it mean for you to begin to apply this in your real-life situation, your marriage? Submission means putting the other person first as an expression of your love for Jesus. It, it means that we're not, we're not in our marriages seeking for power. We're not even actually, I know this is a bit mind-boggling, but we're not even seeking for equality. We're putting ourselves in service to the other. If anything, we're trying to outdo one another in sacrificial loving. And I know that when that's happening, when a husband and wife are actually trying to outdo one another in their sacrificial love for each other, man, that marriage flourishes. It does. When we submit to each other, the power dynamics change, or you could even say they disappear. Submission moves us back toward God's original intention for marriage, that we would be unified as one flesh, mutually serving one another in love. When Christians live by the Spirit, the question is no longer, who's in charge here? But, how can I serve you? And when the question changes from, who's in charge, to how can I serve? Everything changes. Our whole perception shifts from getting what I want, getting what I need, to giving what they need. See the change there? It's really hard. It requires us to think less about ourselves and more about the person that we're married to. And let's be honest, we're all selfish. We want to be served. We kind of like this idea as long as they hold up their end of the bargain. Right? 
I like this mutual thing as long as it stays mutual, right? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what we immediately want. And, 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 and this submission bit is, is powerful because it challenges us right at the heart of most of our marriage problems. It's why I think we need the Holy Spirit to help us submit because it's a change of heart that we need. If you ask people what would solve their marriage problems, and I do get the opportunity to ask that, they'll often point to the things that their spouse is or is not doing. I do that too. We all do that. What would solve your problems? Well, if they would just do this. You know, he doesn't care about what I think. Uh, she doesn't even like me anymore. And he's so caught up with his toys, he doesn't even look at me anymore. Uh, she puts all her energy into the kids and there's none left for me. Whatever it is. We think that the real solution to our marriage malaise is that this other person should be acting better. Right? But we have little or no power over how someone acts. I mean, have you actually ever tried to change your spouse? And how did that go? Super, hey? Yeah. A big thumbs up for Morgan. Yeah, right. Yeah, I know you better than that. Yeah. These Christian wives and kids and slaves... um, you know, what really struck me is that they had very little social power. They had, they had zero ability to alter their station in life. They really had none. Okay? And, and I think instead of locating the solution in the father, I mean, he gives the father commands, the husband's husband and the master, he gives them commands, but instead of locating the solution in the other person, which would have been very easy to do, but actually wouldn't have helped them at all, Paul calls them, to take ownership for their own lives, for their own actions. He calls them as new creations in Christ. He calls us as new creations in Christ to locate the solution for our marriages in our own actions, to take responsibility for our own attitudes, our own hearts, our own lives, and to live by the Spirit in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And then Paul does speak to the most powerful person in the mix. And if you study this passage more carefully and you get into it, you realize that that it's the husband, the father, and the master who really, really is challenged to submit. Submit in unbelievable ways to their wives, their children, and their slaves. The whole point of this, especially as we apply it to marriage, is that two people filled with God's Spirit who are lovingly submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ will experience a great and a growing marriage. It will happen. It does not mean things will be easy or smooth. It does not mean that. In fact, I suggest there will be rough waters ahead once you start to apply this to your life. But it does mean that our relationship with each other will flourish over time as we serve one another out of love for Jesus. Christian marriages only flourish where mutual submission is practiced. Husbands, this means that we place the needs and the dreams of our wives above our own and that we do it every day. It means that we ask How can I help you today? Sincerely. As an expression of our love for Jesus. Or to paraphrase, I had to, to paraphrase ancient Cicero and modern day JFK, ask not what your wife can do for you. (laughs) Ask what you can do for your wife. Do you know what a difference that would make in your marriage? If you asked, what can I do for my wife? Or you even asked her, what can I do for you today? That would change everything. And you know it. It's hard to do. Wives, this means that you need to consciously serve your husbands, not because there's some patriarchy that you need to maintain or that they're over you in some weird way. No. You submit yourself to them out of reverence for Jesus, serving them out of your love for Jesus, believing that the only way to a flourishing marriage is by following the way 
of Jesus. But what about when it's only one-sided? You know, what about when one person maybe doesn't buy into this whole Jesus thing, or maybe they claim to, but they're pretty selfish, difficult, and domineering, because they exist, maybe a wife or a husband like that. This is tough. This is difficult stuff. And I, my heart goes out to you if you're in that situation. I, I, I know that it's difficult, but I've I got to tell you, this call to submit was also difficult for many slaves, many children, and many wives who first heard it too who were stuck in awful situations. The reality is, this call to submit is still valid. Lovingly submitting doesn't mean failing to be honest. It doesn't allow for abuse. You need to hear me very clearly on that. It's not about being a doormat. In fact, it's about serving your spouse as you would serve Jesus. In fact, it's even changing your mind to the point where you say, you know, as I'm serving my spouse, I am serving Jesus. And that might involve, I suggest, some very difficult, gut-wrenching conversations about how things are not working. What needs to change? What needs to happen so that you can grow? We all know that the best thing for someone always involves the truth, not lies. And that often that will include difficult conversations. And I think, as husbands and wives, we need to do that. But we do it not as a power grab not as a manipulation, not as a way of of, of trying to dominate, but because we love Jesus. And we know that Jesus wants our marriages to flourish. And because we love Jesus, we can submit to one another, even if that means difficult conversations. And maybe, just maybe, your loving witness will, in time, begin to change the heart and the life of the one that you love. Because remember, that's how Jesus changed us. So to finish... What will you do to submit to one another? What will you do to submit to your wife or your husband or maybe more broadly applying it in your fundamental relationships of your life? How will you submit? What will you change? Or maybe the more difficult question is, how will you change? What attitude needs to shift? What prayer needs to be prayed? What confession needs to be made? What repentance needs to occur? In what way do you need to begin to concretely love and serve the people that you're with, your husband, your wife, like you've never done before? What's it going to be for you? Because if you want to flourish in your marriage, then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what we have to do. The only way to a flourishing marriage lies in submission-filled love. It's the only way. And I want you, just as we close, to imagine the difference that this would make in your life. The difference that this would make in your family. The difference this would make in the world. What would it be like to be in a marriage where the the partners really do serve one another? They really aren't seeking to get something but to give. What would it look like to be in a marriage where there isn't this constant struggle for power, this conflict, but rather a deep commitment to see one another grow and develop into the man or the woman that God created them to be? What would that look like to see our daily conversations shift? And maybe the things that we used to have lots of conflicts about, suddenly uh, our perspective on that changes. What would that do for us? How would you become a better person as you serve? And maybe this is a little thought-provoking. How would you become a better person as you are served? That's the call to us. Rome might have been onto something, you know, thinking that marriages and families, if they're working right, it affects everything else. But that's not original to Rome, right? Rome wasn't that smart. That was God. God's brilliant. And he designed us to be in this relationship of loving service to each other. 
And that he knows that when we're doing that, life is right. Life gets better. Marriages do flourish. Families do grow. Relationships do deepen when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Are you following Jesus in your marriage? Is your marriage, could it be described as a spirit-filled marriage? It's time to submit. And I believe see God do some amazing work in our relationships. As we close today, I want to pray for families, but specifically for marriages today. And um, we all uh, need that, who are married. I want to ask today if you are willing to stand to receive prayer for your marriage. Um, We can keep it a little bit private, so maybe I will ask people to close your eyes. But if you're willing to stand today and say, I want this for my marriage. I want to learn how to submit out of reverence for Christ. I want to see my marriage flourish, and I need God to help me. I want to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray for your marriage, and I'm going to pray for your families. So go ahead, stand if you want prayer. All right, let's pray. Jesus, you have created us to be one with you. And those of us who are in marriage, um, you've created us to be one with each other. Jesus, we know that at the root of our problems is our sin and our selfishness. And so first of all, Lord, we confess to you that we are sinful people, that we are selfish people, and that we are desperately in need of your forgiveness and your grace in our own lives and in our marriages. Jesus, our desire is to see marriage flourish the way that you intended it to. And so today we stand before you to ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would do a recreative work in the, in the lives and the hearts of these men and these women. We pray that their marriages would be strengthened by your Spirit that they would know what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for you, and that they would experience your blessing in their marriages. That you would enable them to see how they can serve one another, to cut through the, the, the difficulties they've had or the power struggles they've had or the things that have kept cropping up, that somehow by your Spirit you would do a change and a work in their hearts so that they're able to truly love one another the way that you have loved us. We pray for marriages to be strengthened and deepened. We pray that each one of these marriages would become a marriage that's a testimony to the world that there is a God. And for some of us, our marriages being repaired and our marriages becoming joyful would be a tremendous testimony of that. We know how difficult that will be. But we stand here in faith and ask you, Jesus, to do an amazing work in our marriages. And by extension, in our families. And by extension, in our valley. So Jesus, we stand before you and ask that your work would be done, that your will would come and transform us, that we would be a people who live a submission-shaped life, submitted to you, submitted to one another because of our love for you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.